Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Jesus, we are walking through the Gospel of Mark to discover the answer to the question, who is this man? Our speaker today is Senior Minister Dee Bacon. So uh, my family tells me I have a problem of late. I have an issue, and they're always getting on to me about it. The issue has to do with something that I didn't want in the first place. I resisted it. I said no, but it had to happen, and it happened, and all of a sudden, we had a little dog, and the little dog's name is Zeke. I know, look at that face. I mean, and the one, the dog I didn't want became my dog, and I confess I'm smitten. I mean, we play together, we chase each other around the house. I have trained him. I impressed my younger son's girlfriend. I've trained him where I can look at him and I'll go, and I'll pretend I'm sneezing, and he'll do exactly the same thing. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) Now a new trick is he sits on me and he looks at me so lovingly, which is awesome, just like that, and uh, he looks at me and I'll close my eyes like this, and the dog does the same thing. It's amazing. I know, it's pretty bad. Now, I know some of you guys are like, oh, Didi, I'm going to have to revoke your man card. Uh, it's all right. I don't care. I love my dog. Zeke is awesome. You know, the thing is, is like once you get a, a little dog in your life, you, you tend to be prone to noticing other little dogs, and you do stuff like notice videos of other little dogs doing cute things. I know, it's terrible, isn't it? Uh, and so, I don't know if you've seen this video of this little terrier uh, attempting to be a sheepdog. Have you seen this? Check this out. This is pretty hilarious. Nelson. Nelson here. Nelson, come here. Here, here, here. Nelson, come here. <laughs> he's been trained to be a sheepdog, right? So, this guy's he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a sheepdog. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there's been some funny uh, captions on the internet regarding this. I think one that made me chuckle the most was a uh, caption is, uh, when you fudge on your resume <laughs> about your current skill sets, right? I think another, another, another uh, caption can be uh, when you realize you signed up for something you didn't know what you were getting into, right? You ever had that feeling when you get into something, you're like, uh, this is not what I expected. Uh, you know, when I walked into this situation, I had this one idea, but all of a sudden, it's not turning out to be the way I thought it would be. I better make a decision. Now, we are working through the gospel of Mark, and the purpose of our our series is really simply to uh, do our best to accurately represent Jesus, the man, the person. To represent Jesus that is communicated to us in the testimony of those who saw him, those who heard what he said, those who witnessed what he did. Mark was an associate of Peter, we, we get the idea that he hung around Jesus. He was a young man. 
that did and became a, a very much a, an avid leader in the church. The thought is, is that Mark was relative of Peter, and so the gospel of Mark is Peter's memoirs. He was listening to what Peter said, and he put it down as the gospel, a representation of a communication that Christians were using to say, here is Jesus, and here is Jesus, you need to make a decision. And so Mark is a gospel of action. There's, there's teaching, but not as much. You kind of get Peter's personality coming through because you get the idea that Peter was a can-do kind of guy. He didn't mess around. He went straight to the, to the issue and took care of business, that kind of person. But you get the idea that, that Peter was a, was a can-do guy. So Mark has that very much the same feel. And we're looking at chapters 3 and 4. And in chapter 3, we begin with a story about Jesus in ministry, it's the beginning part of his ministry, he heals a man with a shriveled hand in a synagogue, which was a Jewish church, on Sabbath. And in that, he violates the traditions of the Jewish leadership. They get upset at him. There's a confrontation. And then Mark begins to talk about how popular Jesus was becoming. In fact, if we were to say, you know, in church terms, the ministry was busting its seams. Thousands of people were coming to hear him, to see him, to receive a miracle from him, to witness what he was doing and the fervor and the intensity and the excitement regarding Jesus and his work and the possibility that he could be the Messiah that the entire people of Israel were waiting for was at a high point. And so if you look at the, the map here, just kind of familiarize what was going on. Uh, up north, you see that Galilee, that's where Jesus centered most of his ministry, and that's where he is in, these gospel, in this gospel account of chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Mark. And his home base, his ministry home base was Capernaum, which is a fishing village that was the hometown of Peter and Andrew, James and John. That was their base. Uh, many times when we talk about the house that he was in, it would more than likely be Peter's mother-in-law's house. And the way they did life there, they, they all lived together, right? Peter, mom, dad, mother-in-law, all around. And the story that Aaron told about someone digging through the roof of a house to drop in the lame man, uh, that was uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And uh, no doubt, you know, I wonder what kind of mother-in-law she was, but, you know, that was her house that was done there. Being there, it's still there, apparently. It has a big monument over it, but uh, it's pretty cool to go there and, and see all of that in person. But that's where Jesus was primarily based. And the Bible says, Mark says, people were coming from all over. You point, I point out Nazareth because we'll refer to Nazareth in a bit. That's Jesus' hometown. Uh, he wasn't born there, but he grew up there, you know, to his parents, Mary Joseph, and their family. But uh, Mark says that people were coming all the way as far as south as Emidia, Idumea, right? Down there uh, to the south, this talks about people coming from Tyre and Sidon, which is on the coast. See that place called Ascalon, that whole area up now, I think, Tyre and Sidon. Anyway, it's on the coast. Uh, Samaria, Judea, Jerusalem, people were coming from all over to witness what Jesus was doing. And in many times, with the massive crowds, Jesus was forced there on the, the banks of the Lake Galilee, was forced to teach them, to communicate with them God's Word, to do His ministry. He would get into a little boat, and He would push offshore, and then the crowds would be on the beach, and it would be like a natural amphitheater, and He would teach them. And that's what Mark says is happening in chapter 3. Now, I want you to take a pause a moment to think about this. Jesus attracted the crowds. 
Jesus brought many to come to see him, and they came for various reasons. But what you discover as you read the story is that Jesus wasn't interested in a crowd. Jesus wasn't interested in a crowd. And in fact, many times Jesus would say things, do things, challenge people to the place where they had to make the decision like, oh, okay, this is not what I expected. This is not the Messiah I was looking for. This is not the person I thought the Son of God would be. And I think about that crowd, and I think about the mass of people who came to to Jesus, and I think they pretty much were like us. They came to Jesus for a variety of reasons. And maybe it's a reason that, that will resonate with you. Maybe it's something that you might need to contemplate. Why am I here a follower of Jesus? In the crowd, there were no doubt people that came because they had needs to be met, which wasn't a bad thing. They were sick. Loved ones were suffering demon possession, evil spirit controlling their, their, their lives. They came to hear Jesus' words. They came because they were so excited that possibly that he would be the one that would set them free from the oppression, the political oppression of the Romans. They had learned in church that one day God would send a, a ruler like their great King David and he would release them and give them freedom and establish their kingdom forever. And they thought, well, maybe Jesus was it. And so they came. And as they came, they came to get something. They came to Jesus with this expectation that they would receive a blessing. They came in many ways, as customers. They came as customers, and that was their expectation, that Jesus would provide them a service. And a lot of times, I think, we can fall into that same trap. We come to Jesus as a customer or a client or a contributor. As a customer, we come because Jesus gives us a blessing. We come so that we might be filled up. We come so that we might have something in our life that is better than what we what we, something that we want. We come with this idea that uh, church is about me and I come so that I can be filled and, I, and, I, and I am, I'm looking for the thing that will, will change my life for me. Maybe we think Jesus is a client. Now, this may be more in reference to some of the close associates of Jesus, but a client means someone that works for you, right? Someone that works with you. Someone that you have an agreement with, you do this, and I will do that. If I give you this, then you will return in a service like that. And, and some of the disciples maybe had this attitude. You, you pick it up. They thought, well, because we're in the inner circle, Jesus, would you give me special access on the day of judgment? You remember James and John said, hey, can we sit at your right hand? Actually, their mom did. But many times I think we get into this attitude, well, I do all the good things, I read my Bible, I go to church, I give regularly, I I do the good things, I follow the way, and so, Jesus, uh, you owe me. If I dial up a prayer in that great ATM in the sky, uh, I'm expecting a blessing in return. If I say the right words and do the right prayers and, and, and pay the right costs, then I should be blessed, received health, wealth, and prosperity for my life now. And so we see maybe Jesus as a client. And then maybe we see Jesus as a contributor. I know a lot of you like smiling because of the way I say that. I can't help it, but it's how it comes out of my mouth, right? A contributor. What I mean by a contributor is that we observe Jesus as a great movement, something bigger than ourselves. We're like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's something that looks pretty, pretty great, and I want to be part of it. I'll give a part of what I have so that I can receive just the benefit of feeling good. 
the benefit of feeling good that I'm doing something great and making a difference. And, and, it, and, and it's similar to customer, but it's more that I'm doing my part, and, and in doing my part, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it for my benefit. I'm a contributor. But Jesus is not looking for customers, clients, and contributors. Sure, in of itself, you can say, well, it's not all bad, I get it, but Jesus is not looking for that. Jesus is looking for individuals who will give their life to being a disciple. And quite honestly, more specifically, Jesus is, giving, is looking for individuals who will give themselves to follow him and invest themselves in the mission that he has begun in making disciples. In other words, Jesus is looking for individuals who will be disciple makers, individuals who will join him in his work in this world to invest themselves in others who will then become also Jesus followers as you invest what God has given to you, the blessings, the gifts, the truths, the teachings into their lives. Disciple makers who are disciple makers who are disciple makers. Now, we see all this coming together in chapter 3 and beginning at verse 13 in that we will be introduced to three groups of people that had opinions about Jesus that came to a point of decision regarding Jesus that hopefully will provide us a roadmap for our lives as to what we will decide about Jesus. Three groups. The first group will be the group of the apostles. The second group will be uh, the group of his immediate family, mom and brothers. Uh, we kind of guess that Joseph had passed away at that time because he's not in the picture. And then the third group is the religious leaders that come down from Jerusalem. And so chapter 3, verse 13, begins with Jesus' teaching, and then he calls together his disciples, as was his practice. Many times he would get away from the hubbub of the crowd and get to a secluded place so that he could do some soul work, prayer, uh, teaching, investing in those who were closest to him. Well, Mark says he did that, and this time he separated himself from the group, from the crowd, with his disciples in order to do the work of prayerfully selecting the 12 men who would become the individuals whom he would then give the best of himself to training and investing and teaching them to continue his ministry once he rose from the dead. These individuals would be people that he would equip he would equip them by taking the extra time to explain his teachings. He would equip them by empowering them by the, by the Holy Spirit to perform miracles and, and do the things that he was doing. He would equip them by sending them out on training exercises two by two to do ministry during the course of their three years with him. He would equip them. He would encourage them. He would give them the courage by telling him, hey, this is what's going to happen. I will be sending you my Holy Spirit who will help you when you don't know what to say. My Holy Spirit will empower you to do things that, that, that you, you're not even doing now, but even greater things. And I will encourage you by, by, by giving you what you need and giving you the training that you need so that you can finally be enthused, you can be energized, you can be passionate because you've learned to love me, you've learned to commit your life to me, you follow me in your day-to-day, -day, and the pattern that, that you've been trained in is the pattern in which you will continue Continue, you will be enthused to then go out and be the foundation of my work 
in establishing the church because Jesus will say, as the, the Scripture says in Matthew 28, hey, uh, I'm going back to the Father, but you are going to be disciple makers. I am with you to the end of the age because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be me with you, but not me in the flesh, but now me by my Spirit so that he can be with you and with all of those who come to faith through your message that I give to you. And you will establish a church that will be the witness to the message that I am preaching now all the way to the end of the age. And the message is this. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who are recipients of the gift of grace by faith, at baptism proclaiming Jesus is Lord, will be filled with the Spirit and will be made right with God and they will become children of God and they will be called to the work of God, the family business of taking that message to those who are in their world, the friends and neighbors and individuals whom they go to and they will make disciples as you are making disciples. And so the 12 are chosen, and we're given the names of the 12. Uh, in Mark's uh, account, it's pretty interesting. You get a little bit of, uh, every now and then, some nicknames given to them. I, I kind of chuckled about that, uh, some of the nicknames. Simon, his nickname becomes Peter, which means the rock. James and John, I think they, they're nicknamed the sons of thunder. These two are the ones that are, you know, scrappy and always quick to want to have a fight. It's quite interesting that John is a son of thunder, be, be at this time, but then he becomes the apostle of love when God transforms his life. Just a little note. Uh, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, uh, Thaddeus, Simon, the Zealots. Zealots were a political party. We would say they were pro-nationalist revolutionaries. And their job, their, their idea was, hey, we want these Romans out. We're willing to take up arms to push them out. But here's this individual who was a right-wing, pro-national revolutionary who is chosen to be part of the group that Jesus appoints to establish the church. In contrast, you've got Matthew, who is a guy that works, used to work for the Romans. So you'd be like, ooh, that's... A Pretty interesting group. Anyway, and of course then Judas Iscariot who would betray Jesus in the end. And so we've got the selection of the 12 and we've got the establishment pattern of here's what I'm, I'm going to do. And so the story goes that after he selects the 12, he goes back to the house, it says, and we're going to assume he's going back to the house at Capernaum. And once again, massive crowds are around him. The furor and the, and the attention that Jesus is getting causes people to talk, and part of the talk was, oh boy, this guy from Nazareth, they start talking to Jesus' family, Mary and James and Jude, some of the brothers' names we know, uh, you better come get your son, because I think he's lost his marbles. I think he's crazy. And so we're told in, in, in Mark that, that Mary and the brothers come from Nazareth, and they come to Capernaum to take Jesus, because they're embarrassed, they're hurt, he's lost his marbles, and people, are, you know, want him to go home. Another group has arrived, and, and they're from Jerusalem. This is the hierarchy. This is the religious leadership. And they come because, one, all of a sudden, all this attention about a religious teacher, but they also come because uh, they're hearing him teach things that seem to be subversive to their religious system. He's saying things and doing things that are contrary to their religious tradition. And they come and they witness Jesus and they begin to say, oh, 
it's obvious based on what he's doing and based on, on what he's saying, particularly regarding our traditions, regarding the Sabbath, it's obvious that Jesus is, is not, a, not a Lord and he's not a nutcase. He's of the devil. He's of the devil. He's evil. And they begin to try to push this rumor out that, that Jesus is of the devil, of Beelzebub, uh, evil spirit, the chief of evil spirits. And it's quite interesting that we want to note how Jesus addresses each of these groups. To those who say he's of the devil, to the, to the, to the religious leadership, he's particularly straightforward. First of all, and I'm summarizing, it says, first of all, he says, what you're saying about me, A, is illogical, and B, is just flat stupid. Right? And the reason he says this is, wait, first of all, if you see what I'm doing, I'm casting out demons, I'm destroying the work of Satan, it's illogical to say that a kingdom that fights against itself, if Satan is destroying Satan, how does that work? That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. That's not how it works. Evil doesn't fight against evil. No, if I was of Satan, I wouldn't be destroying the work of Satan is the implication. The second thing he says is stupid because think about this. If you're going to go into the house of a strong man, the way you defeat that strong man is what? You are stronger. And so can Satan be defeated by himself? No, he has to have be defeated by someone stronger. The only one stronger than the, the chief of all evil is God himself, right? That's the implication. And Jesus flat out says to, to these religious leaders, what you're doing and what you're saying is tantamount to the unforgivable sin. Now, through the years of ministry, some of you have called me and you've been worried that you've committed the unforgivable sin, that you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Well, here is a clear explanation of what that means. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is this. When there is clear evidence, when there's clear evidence that what has been done is a work of good from God, miracles being performed where Blind can see and demon possess are free from the oppression of that evil spirit in their life. When individuals have hands that were shriveled becoming well again. When, when, when people are raised to life. When the things that are being done in the name of God for the good of people. When it's clearly obvious that there's a work of God and His Spirit. When it's clearly obvious that, that this is a work of God and you turn around and say, that's not a work of God, that's actually a work of Satan. Jesus says, you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You are attributing to what is clearly from God. You're attributing it to Satan. And when you do that, it's an unforgivable sin. It's a decision that puts you in a position that there's no place to go because you are saying what's of clearly of God is of the devil. And so Jesus chastises these religious leaders for their position in saying that he is of Beelzebub. Now, he's a little gentler with his family, his mom and his brothers. We know a couple of their names, uh, James and, and Jude or Judah. James and Jude, a couple of them, there are more. We get the indication they may even be sisters. But his family come, and he's in this house, and they say to him, hey, uh, you, your, your mom's here. Your brothers are here to take you. And, and Jesus is a little gentler in his approach. His, his approach is more to remind them of his calling. His approach is to remind them of, of, of who he is and in his mission. His approach is to, to really uh, make them realize that he hasn't lost his mind, but is completely doing what they all knew he was called to do from the beginning, particularly Mary, right? 
And so in the text, and this is the text that I'd like for us to focus on, in the text, this is what he says. Mark chapter 3, when, regarding his brothers and, and mother being there, he said, then he looked at those seated in a circle around him. So who's he sitting with? He's sitting with his disciples, his apostles, the 12 who have just committed themselves to the mission that he has placed upon them. Their selection to being one of those who are being called to establish the church, continue the kingdom to receive his special attention in the ministry. He looked at those seated in a circle around them and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Here it is. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. See, Jesus he is clearly in his right mind, and in clearly in his right mind, he reminds his family, he reminds his family of what his mission is all about. His mission is to come and not call crowds, but to call followers, disciples, individuals who will make the decision, who will say he's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He's Lord. And Lord is a word we use at church, but let me tell you what Lord means. Lord means the boss. Lord means the king. Lord means chief CEO. Lord means the main mana. How about that, right? Lord means the one to whom I have total allegiance for, whose words I live by, whose will I seek to execute and live in. Lord means I will follow him as we live life together. Lord is the one whom I place my trust in for my life now and my hopes in the future. Lord is the one who will define my life mission and give me my life purpose. See, Jesus came into the world not to attract the crowd, for customers and clients and contributors. No, he came into the world looking for those who would fully commit themselves in the pattern of the 12 apostles, fully commit themselves to live life hearing his word and living by his will. And that calling stands today because the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible if you really read what he says and observe what he did, forces that decision. If you try to play safe with Jesus, if you try to water him down and say, eh, he's just a nice guy, he did good things, blah, 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 uh, you're playing with fire. And you're not being true to the witness of the scriptures. You're not being true to the story that you have received in the Bible. Jesus is looking for those who would follow him wholeheartedly in life. Came up with a little saying, you know, uh, preachers try to come up with little things that hopefully are memorable. But this is what Jesus wants. Here's how it works. There's a little saying. If I want to be in, in other words, if I want to be in the family of God, if I want to be in the blessings of salvation in life, if I want to be in, I have to follow him. If I want to be in, I have to follow him. No, that doesn't work. I'll let Rick sing. Um, but here's what, that's, that's the calling. If I want to be in, I have to follow him. 
in my day-to-day, committed to be a Jesus follower who invests themselves in making Jesus followers as we follow Jesus together. And he's with us by his Spirit. Jesus cannot be tamed. Our tendency is to place Jesus in a box and perhaps have our personal Jesus who defines our needs and helps us with what we are. He's, he's not a talisman. and He's not a treat. He's not a, a good to-do-good to movement that we can be part of. No, Jesus calls us to follow. This is the conclusion that C.S. Lewis came to. C.S. Lewis was once an atheist. He openly said, in order to really stand by my position of atheism, uh, I'm going to have to give the Bible a chance to speak. He invested himself in looking in scriptures, and when he started to study scripture and he started to look at the witness of the Bible, he came to the point of, uh, this is true. And he went from atheist to an apologist, an individual who defended the faith. He writes all of this in a book called Mere Christianity. In Mere Christianity, there's a statement that perhaps you're familiar with that I think brings everything into clarity. Follow along with what he says. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Our hope through this series is that you will make a choice and that you will challenge the choices that you've made in the course of your faith walk. Our hope is that you will see Jesus not as a symbol or a, a feeling or a representation of some principle, but you will see Jesus as the man, the man who lived and walked on this earth. Because if this is true, it doesn't matter that it happened 2,000 years ago. If it's true, then it's like it happened today. And we're still forced with the decision, is he a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? And it's a decision that we're going to have to make every day in our life because there's a constant tug, temptation, to modify Jesus and to make him something that he's not. No, we must always make the commitment, is he liar, lunatic, or Lord? You decide. You decide. And let your decisions in life show what you've decided and the choices that you make and the values that you take in and the practices and the way you treat others in your faith, in your values of, of, of career. Let them be the testimony to your decision. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. I'm going to ask that we stand. I'm going to ask those guys that are here to pray with you in person. I'm going to ask them to come forward. They're going to be available to pray with you if you have a prayer need, if you have a decision to make and regarding your faith journey, what's next. Uh, they're going to be here to help you with that. Talk to them. Well, let's close in prayer, and after our prayer time, we will be uh, dismissed to go about our day.
Lord, I just thank you that we can gather together and proclaim our faith. Opportunity to share what we believe. To speak it in song, to sing it out in song, to, to witness it in the baptism of, of three people. To participate in taking communion and, and to respond in, in giving and, and to consider your word and to the testimony of the gospel. I pray that in that, these will encourage our faith, will bring us to faith, that will deepen our faith. Pray that you would help us to, to realize that your spirit equips us, that with, uh, with the church and with him in our lives, we can have courage. And Lord, I pray that our love for you may grow more and more, that we'll be enthused to go out and fulfill your will in life, making disciples. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Encourage you to uh, continue on in the study this week, Mark 3 and 4. We have Bible study uh, material in the bulletin. Please use that. God bless. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.